Okay, there we go. Well, it is good to be with you guys. Uh, we are <clears throat> starting into our third week, and you have papers there. I don't know if you guys have grabbed them. I think everyone has at this point, um, has those. those. So, talk about the importance of biblical grieving or lament, and <clears throat> just want to make the caveat again, a lot of this content is borrowed from Dr. Ron Walborn, uh, with permission. This was a class that he taught at Nyack College for pastoral ministry uh, students. And so I took this class back in college when I was studying to be a pastor. And the, the truths of this have so deeply affected my life that I asked him shortly after I graduated, can I take all your material, learn how to teach it, and can I just start teaching it? Uh, and he said yes. And so I've been doing it <clears throat> for a long time. But this, this one on grieving is, is very... Uh, it, it can be very difficult to talk about because the starting, pre- the starting premise is that we must grieve the painful losses of the past seasons of our life before we can effectively embrace the present and the future. If we're to grow in our life with the Lord, if we're going to go into and move into the future, we have to release the grip that the past has against us or is holding us down, that the enemy is using. And much of the past happens... The reason why it stays with us and weighs us down is because of the painful losses, the ungrieved areas of our life. And this isn't one of those often talked about um, issues in the church. I've grown up in the Western church, Western Pennsylvania church, and I've never heard a sermon or a conversation about grieving or lamenting until I was in college. Um, Which I thought, I mean, growing up my whole life, not understanding that there is a biblical mandate for grieving, uh, I thought was interesting. So we're going to talk about that tonight. To grieve uh, or to mourn is to express sorrow, right? It's to not pretend it didn't happen. It's to actually say, wow, that was painful. It's, It's expressing the sorrow. Some people express sorrow sometimes through anger. Some people express sorrow through tears or through weeping. Um, but it's the recognition of saying, okay, I am expressing this sorrow because of this issue in my life. And I'm going to allow it to be felt and I'm going to hand it over to the Lord. And so we're going to talk about what, is that, <clears throat> what does that mean. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I was at a conference all day today, so I apologize. Biblical mandate, what, what Jesus brings down in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. One of the things I love about the Bible is that Paul and Jesus, they always make these truism statements that if you run them backwards are also true. So for example, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. However, if you turn it backwards, <clears throat> those who do not mourn will not be what? Comforted. We cannot receive comfort unless we mourn. There is no comfort without mourning. You know, if, if, if I'm walking down the street and I'm going through some really bad loss and pain and Tim sees me and he's like, oh, you know, Pastor Mark's doing fine because he's all happy and everything's great. I'm not going to receive Tim's comfort because he's not going to know that he needs to comfort me. Now, God knows that we need comfort, but he's not going to force a comfort on us that we're not really wanting him to bring about. I'm not showing Tim my mourning and my sadness because I don't want him to know and I don't want him to deal with it. I don't want to have to deal with it. Um, <clears throat> so, excuse me, blessed are those who mourn. We will be blessed when we grieve properly because we will receive the comfort of the Lord. No mourning, no comfort. Four important questions about grief that we have to ask. The first one is, what, what brings about the need for grief? 
If I am a believer, if I am strong in the Lord and, and everything is great and I know that the, the joy comes in the morning and God makes all things new and all of those biblical mandates are true, do I really need to grieve? Well, yeah. Because it's one, it summed up to one word, loss. And I think that's in your handout there. The reason why you and I need to grieve is because we experience loss. Loss of any type is something that's a necessity for grieving. You could lose a shoe, and you're going to grieve over that because you've got to go buy another one, which means you lost a little bit of money. Now, those are small and minor things, but <clears throat> we have losses all throughout our lives. And many times, I think the church or the world at large, culture in general, wants to minimize our losses. You know, someone might say, oh, I lost, when I was a kid, I, I lost a puppy. And it was the most important dog that I ever had. I grew up, I loved it. But my dad always said, oh, suck it up, buttercup. Get over the puppy. We're going to get a new one. Don't cry over spilt milk. Stop mourning over that. But they never were allowed to actually fully grieve and engage the moment. And <clears throat> I've talked with people that had something like that happen in their childhood and have them as an adult, your age, my age, your age, however old you are. I've, I've had someone have a breakdown, tearing moment. Because they finally allowed themselves to grieve the loss of their dog from 45 years ago. Wow. Right? We hold these things in. We don't allow comfort to happen. And so those past pains actually begin to predict current reality, current responses. And so they cause what's called trigger, pain, trigger pains. And so if somebody were to say something like, oh, suck it up, Tim, just deal with it. But 45 years ago, your dad told you to do that with your dog. You're going to have a strong reaction. It's like, don't tell me what to do. Leave me alone. Right? There's going to be that. Because all of that you brought to that one moment. That past loss. That past pain. That's not been fully grieved. Not fully given over to the Lord. The enemy is going to use to take you back there. And so we need to grieve. Because we all have loss. Excuse me. Lamentations 2.9 says, Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more. And the prophets find no vision from the Lord. <clears throat> it was this lamentation of the things that once were no longer are. The, the gates have been lost. All the bars on, the, on, the, on the, the gate have been ruined. The king and princes, there, there's no more law. Things are just a mess. And so the, the author of Lamentations is saying, look at all of this loss. We need to lament the loss of all of these things. Uh, I think this is Henry Nouwen. Uh, you have it on your, on your sheet. He says, if there is any word that summarizes well our pain, it is the word loss. We have lost so much. Sometimes it seems as if life is just one long series of losses. When we were born, we lost the safety of the womb. When we went to school, we lost the security of our family life. When we got our first job, we lost the freedom of our youth. When we got married or ordained, we lost the joy of many options. And when we grew old, we lost our good looks, our old friends, or our fame. Tim did not lose his good looks, though. When we became weak or ill, when we lost our physical... <laughs> hey, well, that's, you can debate that later. Uh, when, we, when we become weak or ill, we lost our physical independence. And when we die, we lose it all. And all these losses are part of the ordinary life. But whose life is ordinary? The losses that settle themselves deeply in our hearts and minds are the loss of intimacy through separations, the loss of safety through violence, the loss of innocence through abuse, 
The loss of friends through betrayal. The loss of love through abandonment. The loss of home through war. The loss of well-being through hunger, heat, and cold. The loss of children through illness or accidents. The loss of country through political upheaval. And the loss of life through earthquakes, floods, plane crashes, bombings, and diseases. Perhaps many of these dark losses are far away from most of us. Maybe they belong to the world of newspapers and television screens. But nobody can escape the agonizing losses that are a part of our everyday existence. The loss of our dreams. Now, what does he mean by that? Because he could have ended and made it a whole lot more understanding those tangible things that are lost. But if you were to look back at your life and you would have had to say, okay, my 25-year dream or vision for my life looks like this. I'd say 100% of us, if we were to look back at our 25-year list, 25 years from that moment, <laughs> probably not a lot of that came true, right? And so there's that sense of what we had hoped for that life would bring us. That the enemy wants to say, see, you know, you had these hopes for life, you had these desires, and God didn't give any of them to you. Does he really love you? And he uses that pain, those losses against us. But that's not the case. We are where we are because sometimes our life choices, we lost other things. Because there was, there was sin and re- repentance that needed to happen. But also, we don't have the best view or goal of what we're to be or where we're to be in 25 years. The Lord is the one that knows. His sovereignty, His wisdom is what is important for us to rely on and rest upon. And so we all have these losses. We all have these necessities for mourning. But sometimes we don't even realize the loss that we have in our life that we've not allowed ourselves to grieve. You know, like I said, you can go all the way back to a puppy 45 years ago. There might be pains or things that that you're holding on that the enemy is using against you in your life. And you're not receiving the comfort from the Lord. And many times we can hold up a a bitter or anger uh, attitude towards the Lord, unrepentant attitude towards the Lord because we feel justified in our feelings or we feel whatever it is, the enemy can use those losses against us if we don't break their power by grieving them properly. By saying, you know what, Lord, this, I need to express sorrow. This event, this time, this, this space of my life was painful and I need healing. I need your comfort. And sometimes I think in life we look at our losses and we say, well, you know, <clears throat> I think, I think I've, I've mourned that one. But the sting is still there. Have you ever, have you ever had that? We're like, oh, I've, I've, I've grieved it. I'm over it. But then something kind of comes back at you and it pokes and you're like, I'm not over it. <laughs> That's how we need to have the biblical sense of lamentation. And you say, okay, God, I need to allow all of this. I need to let it go to be honest with what it is, where it is, what it came from. And I need to give it all to you so that I can receive your comfort. Now, just like any sin, just like any pain, there are going to be residual effects. You know, like if, if someone were to go and murder someone, they might be repentant. The Lord would forgive them, but they still have ramifications of their actions. So there are still some of those things, those losses that in our life... That will continue to echo. But they don't have to have the power over us that we allow them to have. Because if we grieve them and we hand them over to the Lord and say this. I've repented. I've moved on. I've followed the biblical pattern for what I need to do. Free me from the pain of this. Free me from this loss. And let me live the way I'm supposed to be living. Comforted. Comforted doesn't mean that those things go away. It means that you have the warm embrace of the Lord covering and protecting you in the midst of it. Bottom line, there's nobody that gets out of life without loss. Every single person in this room has lost something 
or someone. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. We all have loss. And so the idea of grieving, the biblical necessity of grieving, is highly important to the disciple. Four important questions. So what, what brings about grief? Why is grieving necessary? What happens if we do not grieve? Well, the first thing is, is that we deaden our hearts. If we do not grieve, we do not allow ourselves to feel pain. We're shutting it down. We're saying, nope, I don't need to do it. I don't need to feel the grief. I don't need to feel the pain. And we begin to lock down the sensitivity of our emotions. We begin to shut them down. <clears throat> this is one of the reasons why I think men are more prone to be hard-hearted is because they're trained from an early age to not feel. They're told, don't, don't cry over that. Don't worry about stop being a baby. You know, oh, sorry, you fell over. You broke your knee. Get over it. Right? Oh, you lost the dog. We'll get a new one. All these different things. A lot of that happens to a younger man saying, oh, you need to be a man. You need to be a man. You need to be a man. And so what people wonder, why are men so cold in our society? Well, it's because their hearts have been deadened because they've been told not to grieve. They've been said it's, it's not biblical or it's not manly to grieve. And so we don't. As men, we just don't try to grieve. And so we deaden that part of our heart. We can compartmentalize our lives, right? If we're not grieving properly our loss, <clears throat> we can put that segment of our life over here, close it up, and walk away from it so that we can live and function normally. Because if we don't know how to grieve, and if we can't go near that issue or that pain in our life without having strong reactions, we have to close it up and shut it out. So we have to hide it and put it away so that we can actually live life. So we compartmentalize. We deaden and we compartmentalize. We shut down our emotions. You know, when we don't allow ourselves to grieve, we're shutting it down. And what we're saying in that moment, sadly, what we're saying is that, that we were created in the image of God. God is an emotive creature. And we're saying, well, that part of the image of God is not right. We're saying, nope, that part of God I just don't want. He's saying, oh, you were created in my image. You were meant to feel. You were meant to experience emotion, highs and lows. I created you with physical feelings, with emotional feelings, with spiritual feelings. All of these things make you the image of God. <clears throat> and when we shut those down, we're saying we're not, we don't want to be a part of that. Constantly live with, with our pain dictating our future. Now, I don't think that's actually on the list. It might be. Um, but <clears throat> when, our, when our pain dictates our future, it, it, what I mean by that <coughs> is those trigger points that we talked about earlier. Where we try to avoid those trigger points or those trigger people. Uh, so maybe sometimes our biggest loss and biggest pain have happened in churches. And so we avoid churches or church people. Now, you guys are all here, so that might, it's probably not the case for you. But there are these things where we, we allow our pain to dictate what we do. You know, have you been wounded by, um, say, I don't know, your dad? And then if you interact with someone who reminds you of your dad, do you avoid them? Do you push them away? Do you run away from them? Well, you're allowing your pain to dictate how you live now. You're allowing that past, that issue, that ungrieved loss to shape how you work and live now. That's past pains can predict current reality. But if we grieve them properly, we release them, they no longer have that power over us. 
They don't have that control to dictate how we react or, or how we view or see other people. That way we can, we can grieve it properly. Brent Curtis, this book called The Sacred Romance, it's, it's by Brent Curtis and a guy <coughs> named Tom uh, John Eldridge. And they co-wrote it. It's a really powerful, powerful book. I like what Brent Curtis writes more than John Eldridge because John Eldridge was just beginning and Brent was really just on fire for the Lord. Shortly after this book published, he passed away. But I, so I think this was kind of like the Lord was giving him one last opportunity to share some stuff that was on his heart. He said, and I'll explain what the arrows means in a moment. But Brent Curtis said, instead of dealing with the arrows, we silence the longing. That seems to be our only hope. And so we lose heart. How many losses can a heart take? If we deny the wounds or try to minimize them, we deny a part of our heart and end up living with a shallow optimism that frequently becomes a demand that the world be better than it is. On the other hand, if we embrace the arrows as the final word on life, we despair, which is another way to lose heart. To lose hope has the same effect on the heart as it would be to stop beating, stop breathing. If only there were someone to help us reconcile our deepest longings with our greatest fears. And there is someone, right? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, did not just cover over our sins, but he brought about the possibility of meeting God face to face, tearing the veil again, and healing our deepest pains, as well as our deepest sins. And so God's healing, this, you know, as we talked about praying for the, the fourfold gospel, God our Savior, our coming King, Sanctifier, and Healer. Jesus on the cross did all of that, brought all of that to, to, to bear in our lives. And what Brent is talking about in the arrows, he's talking about the things that the enemy shoots at our back. You know, because we're believers, we are in a battle. And the enemy loves to shoot arrows. We talked about this in Ephesians 10. The flaming arrows, the flaming darts of the enemy. And many times when we're in the battle, we're allowing some of those arrows to land. Uh, many times they're lies about who we are, about God's identity. We've talked about this since I came. The two things that he likes to shoot at us the most are lies about who we are and lies about who God is. And when we have those arrows sink deep into us, we own them and we believe them. And so when pains and losses happen in our lives, we might have a lie attached to it where we get, you know, we get shot with this arrow of loss. Say you lost the dog. And the dog eventually died. But you were the one who was supposed to be watching the dog. And the dog ran away on your watch. And so your family, your father, your mother, your brother, they blame you. So not only did your dog die, but now it's your fault. That's an arrow that you could live with for the rest of your life. That, that pain, that, that loss, is not just the loss of your dog. It's a loss of part of yourself because... I would never let my dog die. I would never do that. You know, all those different things. I know I keep using that one illustration, but it's important. So arrows come with the loss. Arrows, are, are they, they stick with us and they stay in there. Unless we grieve and we recognize, God, here's the arrow. Here's the pain. Here's the loss. I need to grieve it and I need you to take this thing out of my back. Many Christians are running around with arrows in their back and they don't even know it. And the enemy's just laughing. But the Lord's like, look, let, let me take away that pain. Let me heal you from those arrows, from those lies, from that past pain in your life. Let's grieve it and let's move forward so the enemy can no longer use it against you. So what brings about the need for grief? We saw that there's loss. We don't want our hearts to be deadened. We don't want to compartmentalize our lives. But why, why, why do we, myself included, why do we avoid the grieving process? Hopefully, I think it might be on your handout, but that's okay. It is. Yeah. Why? You don't want pain. 
pain, it hurts. Because in order to grieve a loss that we've not really grieved, we have to go back and dig it up. We have to look at it again and say, yeah, that hurt. That was painful. That was hard. Here's what happened. But many times, I mean, there is so much pain and so much loss that's hidden in the backyards of our life that God wants to just take out and free us from. Wants to free us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And the Spirit is the Spirit of truth who brings truth to the pain, the losses, and the lies that the enemy tries to bring in our lives. And so we need to allow him to do that, but we avoid it because it hurts. We don't like pain. And when it comes to this idea last week that we talked about, it's okay not to be okay. Many times we might think that, but if we were to come into Wednesday night just bawling our heads off, we'd probably feel embarrassed. Like, oh, well, you know, I'm ruining the teaching or, you know, this isn't good. Like people are going to look at me like I'm some kind of mess or whatever. We are all messes. <laughs> if you remember on Sunday, we, you know, we, we're going to see people that need to be restored. We need to be restored. It's okay not to be okay. But we, we use these, these different defense mechanisms because we don't want people in on our pain. And you know, some people say, oh man, if they only knew what I did or what happened in my life, um, then they would look at me differently. Well, that shouldn't have to be the case. That's why we should have an aletheia lifestyle where we could confess all the pain, all the stuff that's in our life and see the healing and the love of God in the midst of that. Because if, if Steve can love me when I'm at my worst, how much can he love me when I'm at my best? If I know that Steve can love me when I'm on the lowest of the lowest of the low, he's a safe person. I know that, that he's got Jesus who loves me when I was at the lowest of the lowest of the low. And so we need to be that. That's why we started with the idea of Aletheia lifestyle, being an honest place, honest people who live that way so that we can be that place of safety for one another. Remember how we talked about that last week at all? Some of these do kind of compile together. We fear it and we avoid dealing with it, yet it will constantly hound us in how we deal with others. It will be the voice on our shoulder declaring run when we should remain and remain when we should run. One of the biggest things in the, in the let's look at the idea of, of abuse, an abuser and an abusee. One of the biggest things that pain dictates for an abusee many times is they remain when they should run. Because if they were grown up in an abusive, uh, abusive relationship, that's all that they know. Like take, take, for example, a girl who gets kidnapped at the age of 12. And she's kidnapped by a man who then sleeps with her and tells her he loves her and all these different things. When she has an opportunity three years later to run away, she doesn't. Why? She's brainwashed. She's brainwashed. And that's all now that she knows. And she believes that that is love. And that if something happens different than that, then she can't, she can't handle it. There are a lot of other things that he could have said. Mm -hmm. you, go, you can go home. I know what I, you are. Mm -hmm. I can, uh, maybe, maybe you rattled off her parents' uh, license plate or her home address. You think they want you back after everything you did? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are a lot of tactics they could use against her. And there was a time where um, there was one girl this happened to, mm -hmm. and uh, she did go home. 
and she was safe, and, but then she returned. She went back. Because our pain dictates how we, how we move. That's what she knew. Because abuse and pain can manipulate how we see ourselves. If that's all I'm good for, then that's where I need to be. Right? You see, you see all these different lies and the abuse of what, what it can do to us. And so we avoid it because it's painful. It's painful to think, man, that happened. That was wrong. That, I know somebody, I was talking with them. Uh, and uh, she's 30-something years old. And we're talking about this idea of grief and pain. And uh, she was talking to Hillary and I. And uh, you know, she, she sat there and said, Lord, what, what are the areas? Where did this start? Where did this, this sexual pain and abuse start in my life? And she remembered she was on a flight from uh, her mom's house to her stepdad's house. And her stepbrother was sitting in the, uh, in the airplane with her. And he began to, to touch her inappropriately. She went up to her mom and said, Mom, can you... And she's like, oh, he's fine. It's, it's not that big a deal. Well, that one moment messed up a whole lot of her sexual life. Until that moment where she found healing and, and freedom from the pain. Where she was able to look at that moment and say, that was wrong. That was not okay. It was not a, a small deal. And she was able to feel for the first time... The weight of that moment. And that's the kind of thing that happens where we, we don't want to go back. We don't want to ask the Holy Spirit, okay, what are the places in my life that really need to be grieved? Because we know some of the stuff that's already underneath the soil, but what are the stuff that's really deep in our backyard? The Holy Spirit wants to deal with those things. He wants to bring those things out, not, just, not so that we can feel bad about them, but so that we can properly grieve them, so that we can lament, as the Bible calls us to lament and say, that was wrong, that was, not what, that was not what I was created for. That is not what was supposed to happen in my life. God, that was painful. I grieve it. Take this pain away from me. Because whether we know it or not, those moments in time do, are used by the enemy to build a case. In, in this, for this woman, it was an addiction to sex. Right, those things they happen, and we look at people's lives and say, "Oh, and they're set there." Look at them, how they're living, but we have no idea where they went to get there. And the Lord desires to bring freedom to that moment, so that this moment can be free, and this repentance can happen, and this saying, "Okay, I'm now free," because we could say behaviorally, "I'm going to stop doing that," but in our heart, are we still doing it? What's the Bible say about our heart being in a place that we're still sinning? It's still wrong. It's still in, a, in, the, 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 in the wrong place. And so we need to look back. Where is the genesis of these things? And allow God to free us from the genesis so that we can really deal with the now. It's not just the behavior. It's about the reason behind the behavior. And that's one of the things that discipleship in Western church gets wrong. Many times we just go after the behavior. The behavior is an important aspect. The behavior is determining sin or not sin. But why is the behavior being chosen? What, what is behind the behavior? And many times there is some other deep root that's causing these things to happen. And grieving helps the root to get taken out so that the behavior can stop. Does that make sense? Anyways, so when it comes to deadening our hearts, um, the, this is the, the pain and joy continuum. 
So this is this is the realm of feeling, and, and these walls, these two walls right here are connected. So here's pain, and here's joy. If you look at it from a psychological perspective, if you're trying to, these are the outer fringes where you can really feel pain, and you can really feel joy. You are a normal person who allows yourself to feel all feelings. But when you try to deaden your pain, you try to minimize it or hide it, you bring this wall in, and you say, okay, I'm going to put that wall right there. I'm not going to feel any more pain than that. But what we don't realize is that we're also bringing in this wall to the same degree. So it's harder, when we, when we stop feeling pain, it's harder to feel real joy. And so when we come into the middle, we're not feeling either. That's where our, our hearts are deadened in that process. That's why when the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength, His joy, we need, we are created to feel joy. But we also see Jesus felt pain. Jesus wept for his friend Lazarus. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. He has the the capacity for painful emotions and joyful emotions. We created in the image of God have the same capacity. But if we begin to shut off one aspect of that, we begin to shut off the other because our hearts, our emotions are connected that way. So I've talked with people who are older than you, younger than you, and say, do you feel like you're feeling the joy of the Lord in your life? No. When's the last time you felt joy? Yeah. When I saw my grandbaby, that was really it was a really great moment. But there's not much more joy than that in it. And then we start digging, I'll dig in and ask about pain. Huh? When's the last time you felt deep pain? Oh well, it was a long time ago, it was this, and then I never let anything else hurt me again. Well, that's why you're not feeling the joy. Because you said, I will not be hurt again. And you make those statements and you say, I'm shutting myself off from that feeling. But these are, these are indeed connected. <clears throat> Excuse me. When someone betrays you, you may say, I'll never open myself up again. No one will ever get another chance to hurt me like that. Again, your pain is dictating your response to current life. God may be calling me to be intimately connected with Ed as we pray together and share life together. But if there was a guy that reminded me of Ed in my life that, pay, uh, that caused me pain and I see Ed and I just I can't, I'm just not going to do it. I'm allowing that pain to dictate my current life. Right? And so we may say that. Many of us have said that. That is a natural reaction, but it's also dangerous. It, will, it opens you up for a second problem, defensiveness, which is the reaction of someone who has been hurt once too often. Defensiveness says, oh, all right, I'll go through life, but I'll never let anyone near enough to hurt me like that again. I'll always keep a wall between me and other people. How many times have you noticed that you have a wall against people or that people have a wall against you? It's because of ungrieved loss. It's because you've allowed that pain to develop a wall. You've allowed it to develop that huge wall. I know in, you know, Hillary and I, when when we were dating and getting to know one another, we both had walls, huge, huge walls against one another because of all the pain that we both went through. Our moms had several husbands. You know, our dads uh, loved the Lord, but <coughs> found themselves with this crazy mess of life that happened. They both remarried, great women. Uh, but there was pain in that, pain within the relationship with our moms and pain with all the moving around from one house to the other. And, and so all of that kind of, we came into our relationship walled up. But over time, God softened those walls. And now she knows me more than anyone else in the entire world ever has or ever will know me and vice versa. 
because we let each other in. But this, this is the response many times. We shut ourselves off from people. We don't... Is, is, it, is it always safe to let your guard down? No. No. But it's better than always having your guard up. If we trust the Lord and we say, you know what, God? Jesus lived with his walls down. He lived among people, answered questions, loved people deeply. And he was hurt for it, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. But when he came back from the dead and was raised, he went right back to the same guys who ran away from him and hurt him the most. It's one of the first things that he did. He renewed and restored John, or Peter in the end of the book of John. Right? Because <laughs> we don't need to hold grudges. It's not our job to do that. It's not our job to allow those things to hinder us from being the humans that we're created to be. See, but the enemy, he uses the pain and the loss against us over and over and over again. And we make statements like this. We might, you might have made a statement like this when you were 25 years old. But it's still true now because you said it and you meant it. And you've kept your promise. With Derek Prince, he has this book. Not everybody agrees with Derek Prince and his theology, but sometimes he says some pretty nice stuff. Um, and he talks about bitterness and, and unforgiveness, and he talks about this issue of uh, defensiveness. And he says, in this, in this situation, do you know who suffers? He says, you do. Your personality shrivels, becoming incomplete. You grow as a tree does when its main trunk is lopped off. It, it grows in a distorted manner. And so when we're not allowing ourselves to be fully human, the way in which we were created to be, to feel, to know, to be known, to love, to be loved, and we shut ourselves off and we build up walls against people, we're really the one who suffers. Because our anger might be against our father, for example. That, that might be the pain where we're at where we hold against everybody else, especially every man in our life. We take what he did to us and we put it on everybody else. Well, we're going to grow in a distorted manner because not everybody is like our dad. Not everybody is like our mom. And so we're going to miss these powerful, intimate connections with other humans that we were created to, to have because we've not grieved that pain. We've not released it. We've not said, God, here, take it. Give me the freedom that the Holy Spirit promises. So what brings about the need for grief? We talked about that. Why is grief necessary? Why do we avoid it? And what option does our past pain leave us? So now we all understand, we all have pain. Let's just celebrate together, right? We all have loss. We're all stirred and understand that we have brokenness and pain in our life. So with that, what are we left with? How do we go about grieving? Well, we can hide it or deny it, right? We can hide the fact that we have pain and we can pretend like everything is okay. Like that moment where I was walking past Tim in that imaginary conversation. He thought I was totally fine, but I was a wreck. I, I hid it well. Or we could deny it. You could say, oh, that wasn't, oh, that, wow, that didn't happen. Right? I mean, especially when it comes to abuse or serious, deep, wounded pain like that. We really like to deny it because if we deny it, then we don't have to deal with it. Didn't happen. I forgot about it. It's done. It's over. <coughs> We could rationalize it. 
We could say, well, at least, you know, my pain wasn't as bad as Chad's. <laughs> you know? That was just a joke, Chad, right? Anyway. <laughs> my, my, pain and, yeah, my pain and my anxiety and my abuse and stuff, that was nothing compared to the people that don't eat food in third world countries. You know, my pain is nothing compared to theirs. But when you rationalize, you're still avoiding. When we rationalize, we're still avoiding. We're not dealing with it. Because it might have been a small puppy that, that, was, that, that died, that hurt and broke our heart. And we can say, oh, well, you know, it was just a puppy. But did that mean something significant to you in that moment to bring pain and tears to your life? Yes, then it was a loss that needs to be grieved. We cannot rationalize it away. The society likes to make us have rationalizations for our losses. Now, to me, if I lost a dog, I say, oh, man, that's really sad. We'll get another one. But for some people, that's like losing a child, right? That's deep pain. There's deep loss that happens in that moment. But we can't rationalize it because each of us feel things differently. We can get anger, angry or bitter. We could just, have you ever just met someone who's just always angry? Like anytime you talk to them, like, hey, do you want Cheerios? What do you mean Cheerios? Right? Wow. How about coffee? What do you mean? Do I need coffee? Right? It's just like anything you ask is just like this anger. Well, here's the thing. This might help you give, give patience to angry people in your life. They're angry for a reason. And 99% of that reason is past pain that they are holding with them every single day. And we can look at them and get mad at them. Like, oh, I can't believe you're just always angry. Man, pray. Next time you interact with someone that always is angry and you see them always angry, pray. You know what, Lord? Deal with the issue that's causing them to be angry. What is it in their heart? What is it in their past? And you know what? The Holy Spirit might just blow your mind and He might actually give you a word of knowledge for why that person's angry. And He might say, well, go tell them. So I feel like maybe <laughs> you have to really be careful with these things. So I'm like, and I just really feel like the Lord wants you to pray for this issue in your life. Can I just do that for you? You might be shocked that the Holy Spirit was speaking directly to his heart or her heart about something that they needed prayer for in that moment. And you'll see it break. Because there was pain that needed to be prayed for. So that's what we're called to be agents of change. We're called to be the light, the salt. When you interact with people that are always angry... And the word of the Lord gives you a word of knowledge like that to pray with them, to break it off of their life. You've just seasoned their life with salt. You've just brought light to their darkness. Now, you say, well, that's just the world of, you know, the, the early church. No, that, that, can, that can be and should be for today. But many times that person's anger causes you to be angry and you miss the pain behind the anger. See what I'm saying? Anyways, sorry, that was a side note. <laughs> addictions. Many people, because of past pains, take up addictions. Uh, drinking, smoking, chewing, uh, drugs, whatever it is that, that can be habitual and addictive. Some people are addicted to sex. When people have sexual abuse in their past, they have many times, there's two things that generally happen. Utter avoidance of any sexual contact or complete addiction to sex. There's really no middle unless there's healing that has happened for a person who's been sexually abused. It's either complete avoidance or complete dependence. And so that's, 
<coughs> something that we need to realize and look, what am I addicted to? Why am I addicted to it? I had a friend uh, that was growing up. She was uh, Hillary, and, Hillary and I's friend. Her and her husband were really good friends of ours. And she, when she was about 45, started gaining weight really rapidly. And the doctors couldn't figure out what it was. And, and finally she confessed. She said, you know, now that my husband and I have money, I eat all the time because when I was a kid, I had to eat what I ate, otherwise I wouldn't have gotten anything. So when I saw food, I needed to eat it. And so she said that that trigger has been now in my life. So I'm just eating, every time I see food, I have to, there's this, I have to eat it, this compulsory addiction for eating. Um, so it's just, <laughs> when those things, when we look at the past and we say, wow, that really does affect and hinder how we live now, unless we grieve it, unless we receive comfort and healing from it. Because God does want to bring it. And then finally, the option that we have is the biblical grief and mourning. We can grieve it. As we can see what the Lord calls grieving, the mourning process to be. In, in, the, in the book, Burning with Burning Hearts, Henry Nouwen continues. He said, yes, we must mourn our losses. We cannot talk or act them away. But we can shed tears over them and allow ourselves to grieve deeply. To grieve is to allow our losses to tear apart feelings of security and safety and lead us to the painful truth of our brokenness. But in the midst of all this pain, there is a strange, yet very surprising voice of the one who says, Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. That's the unexpected news. There is a blessing hidden in our grief. Not those who comfort are blessed, but those who mourn. Somehow in the midst of our tears, a gift is hidden. Somehow in the midst of our mourning, the first steps of the dance take place. Somehow the cries that well up from our losses belong to the songs of our gratitude. I love that last line. The cries that well up from our losses belong to our songs of gratitude. It's just a, it's just a powerful, powerful truth. And I've experienced this in, in my life. Um, you know, this was probably... this. I'm going to talk about an exercise of how you and I can practice biblical grieving and mourning. Um, but I remember this particular lesson, and, and it's the third week in our course, and it was the third week then as well. I remember this lesson burned deeply into my soul. Because, again, like I said, I had never heard anything about grieving or lamenting. I had never heard a sermon series on the book of Lamentations. Uh, never. So when I came to this idea that it's okay to allow myself to feel the pain of my past and hand it over to the Lord, it's okay to admit to Him that that hurt. And like in the Psalms that I'm, I'm upset about it. It's okay to be honest with our pain and our anxiety as the psalmists were. But to just say, I'm giving it up. Lord, free me from the pain. Free me from... All of the things that the pain has caused me to do and to be. Because I'm going to repent of those behaviors and move into freedom. And this, I talked about my addiction to pornography in college. And it was very helpful to have a, uh, an accountability partner. But this is where the freedom came. This process. Because I realized the reason why I was addicted to pornography was because my mom, I didn't feel, wanted me. Remember, she had kicked me out and sent me to live with my dad after I had said, if you marry him, I'm, I'm leaving. 
So in that moment, I became addicted to women's love. They're, they're, I needed to be loved and accepted by a woman. And that's, it was easily susceptible for me to fall right into pornography because of that. Because it was easy to be accepted or loved by a woman that I could basically tell her what to do. And uh, it was through this process of grieving that I found freedom from that sin. Um, it, <laughs> it works. It really does. Um, so the conclusion is, in order to grieve your past, you must get in touch with your heart and your pain. And this takes time. This can't be done really quick. It's not like a one-and-done counseling session. And I don't know if you've ever have, any of you have ever gone through counseling, but it's not a one-week thing. It is a, an overtime, and with this specific one, through prayer and supplication, and on your face with the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal your heart. It's the, the psalmist says, Search me, O God. Search my heart. And it wasn't just about the issues of sin that he was talking about. If you read that psalm, it's talking about where's the pain? Where am I, where am I avoiding you? Or where am I stepping away from you? It wasn't just about sin. Sin was definitely there, but it was know my ways. Let me know what's going on within my own heart. We need to pray that prayer. That's a prayer that we are all called to pray. Because uh, it's important that we know what's going on in our hearts. Sometimes we can fool ourselves. So in order to grieve your past, we must get in touch with our heart and our pain. And only the Holy Spirit can bring that about. I shared the personal story of, of my revealed pain. But one of the, the powerful prayers, I think it's at the bottom of this paper. Is it at the bottom of that paper? Mm-hmm. That you can take it with you. Um, and, you know, we don't, it's, we don't, we're not going to pray this right now, but I'll, I'll read it so you can understand what it is. You know, it's just, it's confession. Dear Jesus, it is true. I've experienced loss in my life. Somewhere deep inside my heart is wounded. This confession. I fear to even open up these places and then I long to be free to know my heart as well. It's that confession and that supplication, knowing that we need our heart to be made well. So come and take me by the hand and lead me into the grieving process. Only do not lead me there, but lead me from that place to comfort, to the place of comfort and gladness. I surrender. I will trust you. It's that idea of confession and explaining here's, here's what I need. Uh, here's after we look at the scriptures, after we look at what mourning is to be, this is, I need to mourn, I need to mourn properly. And so take me to those places, but bring me out. So <clears throat> the grieving exercise, if this is the only time I will ever give you homework, okay? The only time. So you're getting out of this class with just one assignment. Um, but it's a really hard one. So you, you have the choice to choose into it or not. Uh, it doesn't determine whether you come back or not, okay? Keep coming back. But uh, this, it's called what's called a grief, a grief journal. And, and I teach this class for Tacoa Falls College online uh, as well. And so I've had several people I don't even know. I've never even met them in real life. They actually, for a grade, they have to do this assignment. Um, but it's really important because... It takes what we've learned, and, and rather than just putting it right here and saying, oh, that's really good, grieving is important, walking away now. It is a, grieving is important, I'm going to dive in, and I'm actually going to do it. Um, so the grieving, grief journal. You begin with a bullet list of your losses. Now, I, I'm a writer, so I write in narrative format. 
Some people like to write in bullet point. But each bullet point isn't just going to be, my dog died. right? It's going to be, my dog died, and here's how I felt, and here's what happened, and here's, the, here's why it's a painful moment in my life. Uh, so it's, it's, it's descriptive. It's not just bulleting, bullet pointing those things off. Either start chronologically or wherever the pain most arises. For me, excuse me, uh, for me, I started when I was the earliest memory I could remember of pain that was in my life. And what's really great about this process, can I just be completely honest? The first journal I ever wrote, I have no idea what I put in it, but I know it was 13 pages long, uh, typed out, single-spaced, uh, single 12 uh, font, new, new Times New Roman. It was that long. And I was only 19 years old, I think, maybe 20. Um, but I don't remember it because God healed me from those things. So I don't have to remember them anymore. Um, but either start with chronologically or wherever the, the, the pain most arises. Like when you think, okay, God, Holy Spirit revealed to me the grievances or the pains in my life. There might be one thing that just comes right to the forefront. Just start writing it out there then. Um, don't stop when it starts to get uncomfortable or painful. That's a sign that there's an infection uh, under the scab. You know, sometimes you get to those points, you start writing it out and you're like, oh, this is not... This is not fun. I do not want to do this. I'm just going to stop doing it right now. I'm not getting a grade for it. You know, these things may come into your mind. Like, don't stop just because it hurts. That's the, it's supposed to hurt so that you can walk through freedom after the pain is released. No loss is insignificant. No, no loss is insignificant. And you might find yourself as you're writing your grief journal that you do slip into anger. And it's okay. Because you're being honest with how you really feel. You might start blaming the other people. Like, I can't believe that this person would do that. You might even find yourself like the psalmist blaming God. God, why would you let this happen? Why, would this, why could this happen? But in the end, you'll find the freedom that comes. And he'll say, I was there and I'm here. And I've, I've experienced it and I've seen it. And any loss that comes to your mind, write it out. And then one of the most important things is to find a safe person to help you process this. I don't know if you, if you are in counseling, work it out with your counselor. If you have a spouse that you know you can trust and that loves you and wants to walk this through with you, share with them. If nothing else, I'll put all the elders on, 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 uh, on alert. <laughs> There's three of them in here. But I, you know, I, would, I would love to, to sit down and walk with you in this process. It's generally best, in my experience, that women talk with women and men talk to men. Um, and so I know Hillary, who's walked through this process. If there's one of you ladies that would like to talk with her, um, yes, I'm, I'm telling you that they're, they're going to do that for you. Um, <laughs> she's going to listen and get, I'll get in trouble. But anyways, no, no seriously, it's really important um, to, to find mm -hmm. someone. And, and if someone in this room, if you guys want to do it together, you know, like if all of a sudden Tim's like, hey, Steve, let's... Let's get, get connected uh, and, and, and walk through this together. If that's the person, if you're that person, listen to them. The goal is not to try and fix people. When they're telling you their pain, the goal is not to try and say, oh, stop feeling that way. Oh, oh if you just do this or that. No, no, no. Just listen and pray while they're speaking. And then weep with those who weep. One of the most powerful experiences in my life 
is when I shared with Ron Walborn some of the pain uh, that happened in my life during this class. And when I was sharing with him some of that stuff and just seeing him fall, I, I knew he felt what I was feeling. Another experience where I was with uh, some young adults and I was teaching this class was about three years ago. And uh, this girl, she stands up and starts telling, reading parts of her grief journal to the class because she felt, I really want to share this with the whole class. Because she didn't feel like, she felt numb. She didn't feel like it, was, it did anything for her. And so she's like, well, finally, I'll just, I'll just read it to everyone. She begins to read. And several people in the room begin to weep. They're crying for her. She stops and she says, this really is painful stuff, isn't it? And she began to weep. Because she didn't realize how painful her pain was. Until she saw how it affected other people. How they felt for her. So this, this step is vitally important for us. So that we can have someone, and this, and this has to be a believer. It has to be. So that person can pray Jesus into those moments and pray healing over you. Um, because all of this without the Spirit of the Lord bringing the freedom, all we've done is just chewed up our past, spit it back out, and let it lie there on the ground. Right? The important piece is to do this with a believer, to see the love of Jesus, to experience the freedom that the Spirit of the Lord brings uh, because there is that promise that there is freedom. And we can mourn. And we can weep and they'll be comforted. And that comfort comes from, comes from the Father. So I know that that's... Uh, you came in expecting a really great teaching and that's like heavy. But it's supposed to be heavy. But it be easier just never get involved. Yeah, yeah. Never, that's the lesson. Is that your summary of the lesson? Yeah, never get involved.